linguistic Greetings from Cyberdelic Space. This is Lorenzo, and I'm your host here in the Psychedelic Salon. So, how are you today? I hope your weather isn't causing you to feel a bit down, unless, of course, you live south of the equator, in which case I guess you're about to begin experiencing fall weather before long. And that's my favorite time of year, actually. But if you're still out there shoveling snow or wondering if the sun will ever come back, well, take heart, because spring is going to be here before you know it. Here in uh, Southern California, we've had several days of rain now, but uh, the water is so badly needed that I haven't heard anyone complaining about the rain. It's uh, not seeing the sun that affects me. You know, until I moved here, I'd more or less taken the sun for granted, but now that I'm used to having almost every day of the year sunny, it uh, only takes a day or two without it to get me kind of depressed. But just now, right now as I'm recording this, the sun just has broken through the clouds and it's uh, shining in all its glory. So I guess I'd better get on with this program so I can go outside and play. Now, if you're a regular listener of the Sea Realm, the Sounds of Worldwide Weed, or the Dopecast, you know that lately there's been a lot of email activity discussing Salvia Divinorum. Also, I've received quite a few emails myself asking for a Salvia program, and so I got a hold of my friend Daniel Siebert, who, as I think you'll learn from today's program, is perhaps the single most important link between the traditional use of salvia and uh, today's more powerful experience of the plant through the use of the extract of its active ingredient, Salvinorin A. Until Daniel came along, salvia wasn't considered to be all that interesting by many people in the psychedelic community. But all that changed when Salvia sought out and found Daniel Siebert. I guess that may be a bit poetic, but you'll see where I get that in just a minute when you hear my conversation with him. I'm going to begin where we were talking about the fact that it had been quite a while since we'd seen one another, and uh, then we'll get into our discussion about Salvia Divinorum. Hoping I could have found time to uh, get together with you when I was down in San Diego recently, but I just didn't have any spare time to make it over there. Yeah, I'd I'd love to get back together with you face to face again sometime soon. That it's uh, been far too long, but uh, yeah, I, guess... I don't know where the time goes. <laughs> I don't know, you know, <laughs> uh, when you're having a good time, you know. <laughs> so uh, you know, I uh, there's so much uh, to talk about here, and uh, both your name and your website uh, sagewisdom.org has popped up. Uh, in uh, a lot of emails that uh, they've received on the Cannabis Podcast Network, and mm-hmm. I know uh, KMO does podcasts over in the Sea Realm, and, and uh, uh, he and I were just talking this morning, in fact, and he's familiar with your site. And I guess, uh, you know, for years uh, I've known you kind of as the go-to guy for uh, information about salvia, but, you know, I've never asked you how you got into it in the beginning. Uh, how, how did this all start for you? Oh, boy, I don't know where a, a good place to begin that story is, but um, mm, let's see. Uh, well, it really first started, I first became aware of salvia um, in reading books about psychoactive plants. Um, when I was a teenager, I was um, interested in, in psychedelics particular, particularly, and, um, and was reading books about them, and uh, I came across uh, a mention of salvia uh, back in the mid-70s, um, and, you know, it sounded 
interesting. It was very obscure back then, and hardly any Westerners had tried it. It was really almost used exclusively by the Mazatec Indians. Um, but uh, um, so I heard about it. But it was it was obscure and difficult to obtain in this country. Um, there were a few people who had plants um, from botanical gardens and a few private individuals, but it wasn't readily available commercially. So um, so uh, that, I just didn't have another opportunity to uh, look into it further until many years later, um, sometime in the late 90s. Um, I came across it again and uh, came across. Uh, a couple of people who had tried it, uh, Terrence McKenna's uh, ex-wife, um, Kat Harrison, had tried the leaves once with um, Ralph Metzner in Hawaii, and she told me about her experience, which was um, underwhelming. She basically didn't have much of an effect, and it was so subtle that she kind of wondered whether it really did anything. And uh, a few other people I had talked to um, who had tried salvia, had the same experience. They said, "Well, you know, I'm not sure it really does anything." So, um, so that's that. That was my first um, early early exposure to it. It was this obscure plant that was rumored to be a hallucinogen, but apparently uh, didn't really do much. And um, that was the reputation it had uh, in the sort of psychedelic community. Um, but not many people had tried it, so there were, you know, these reports were few and far between. Um, and uh, one day at a Terrence McKenna uh, lecture I went to, and I think it was in Hermosa Beach, um, someone in the audience had was carrying a potted salvia divinorum plant, and I had recognized the plant because um, I had managed to obtain one from uh, a specialty plant grower a couple years previously. Um, but the uh, the plant arrived in the mail and it was you know severely wilted when I opened the package and it just died within a few days. It was um, traumatized and from rough handling during shipment and uh, and so it only lived for well it was almost dead when I got it. So um, so I'd seen the plant and I'd seen pictures of it in some books. Um, so I recognized this plant that this guy was carrying at, at Terence's lecture. And uh, I went up to him and said, oh, I know what that plant is. I tried to grow that once. And uh, and uh, he said, oh, well, I, you know, I've been having good success growing it, and I just bought this because it was an extra. I thought, you know, I'd share it with people here if anyone was interested. And so he snapped off a branch and uh, handed it to me so I could um, root it and, and try again um, to grow it. So, uh, so that's what I did. I brought it home. By the time I got home, it was... Um, it had been sitting in a hot car for a few hours, and it was completely wilted. And I thought, oh, there's no way this is going to survive. But I stuck it in some water, and it uh, it revived and rooted, and uh, I grew it uh, for about a year. Um, with really not much interest in trying it, because um, now that I had a plant growing, I had asked uh, around more people and tried to get some more information about it and read what there was to read about it, which wasn't much at that point. Um, and, you know, the more I learned about it, the less interesting it seemed. It, it really sounded like it just wasn't really worth the trouble that there were other uh, mind-altering plants that were more worthwhile. So I grew it mostly as a curiosity. But uh, one day, I uh, the plant had gotten about, I don't know, about seven or eight feet tall and was bumping up against the roof of this little greenhouse I had in my backyard at the time. And um, it had a severe infestation of scale insects all over its stems. 
so um, so I decided, well, I got to get this get get this out of the greenhouse, and I got to try and get these scale insects off. And it's sort of crowded in the corner of the greenhouse. It, it clearly needs to be moved and and attended to. And so I lifted the pot up to um, take it out the door. And uh, when I moved the pot, the the plant just uh, um, leaned over and broke off right at the base. So I had basically just, you know, killed my plant. <laughs> um, but uh, I thought, well, you know, what am I going to do with this? And I thought, well, I'll try and salvage some cuttings and, and try and, you know, reestablish some, some plants from cuttings. But so I took a few cuttings from some of the healthier pieces, and but I was still left with a lot of material that was just going to go in the compost heap. And I decided, well, you know, it's a shame to throw all this stuff away. You know, maybe I should, you know, save some of the leaves and try and find time to, to try it. Um, so I put the leaves in uh, a plastic bag and stuck them in, in the refrigerator and, uh, and, you know, waited till I had time to uh, schedule an experiment with them. Um, at that time, uh, it was commonly believed that the leaves only worked when they were taken fresh and that they had to be taken orally. Um, it was considered, it was thought that the active constituent, which wasn't really um, identified with any certainty at the time, it was thought that whatever the active psychoactive constituent was, that it was something that was very unstable because previous attempts by Albert Hoffman, um, Jose Diaz, and others um, um, were unsuccessful in isolating an active constituent from the plant. And um, they they assumed that, well, that was because whatever it was was, was very unstable. And um, this, this um, implied that drying the leaves um, would make them inactive. And reports from the Mazatex um, also indicated that that was the case. They, they claimed that the leaves only work when fresh. They never dry the leaves in, for smoking or anything. They just eat the leaves fresh. So, um, so, so I saved the leaves fresh in the refrigerator. And about a week later, um, I got together with uh, a good friend of mine, and uh, and and my girlfriend as well. And the three of us um, decided to eat these leaves. And yeah, well, while I was growing the plant, I um, you know was researching it and trying to find out about it. And um, most of what I had learned um, gave me an impression that it really wasn't worth bothering with. It's very interesting plant that supposedly had some mild hallucinogenic effects, but there's a lot of plants out there that are reported to have some kind of hallucinogenic or mind-altering effects, but most of them either have a lot of undesirable side effects or the effects are not really properly considered hallucinogens. They're, they're more like sedatives or stimulants, and um, sometimes these plants have been categorized um, as psychoactive plants in, in books on hallucinogens, but um, often that information isn't very accurate. And um, I was starting to believe that that was the case with Salvia divinorum from the reports that I'd heard. But I did hear um, this one report about um, an experience that Brett Blosser had had in, in the Mazatec region in Mexico. And um, he had uh, apparently a fairly profound experience taking salvia divinorum leaves with a Mazatec shaman. Um, and I didn't know Brett at the time. I do now, but um, at the time, uh, Brett, uh, I heard this story through Kathleen Harrison and Terrence McKenna, um, who uh, were friends with Brett. And uh, so they told me about Brett's experience, and uh, and 
he uh, the information that I received was that Brett had taken 13 pairs of 13 pairs of large leaves um, and just he was instructed to roll them up in a little bundle like a cigar-shaped bundle and just chew and chew well and, and swallow each mouthful of leaves until he got to the end of this pile of leaves. Um, so since uh, since this was the only person who I'd um, heard of who had had any significant effect, I decided, well, I should emulate his the method he was instructed to use. So um, so anyway, when uh, well, I, I don't know if I if you want to hear more about um, Brett's experience, but I don't want to get too sidetracked here. Um, just take it any way you want to go. That uh, right. it's a fascinating story. I'm really enjoying it myself. Right. Well, uh, you know, I'll just make sure I get back to the main point. But Brett um, was traveling uh, in Mexico on a spelunking expedition at the time. He's an anthropologist by training, but he's also quite an outdoorsman and an adventurer. And, and uh, anyway, so he was uh, in the Mazatec region, and uh, uh, he was hunting for cave entrances in the highlands. And uh, the Mazatec region is riddled with um, deep caverns. And in fact, some of the deepest caves in the Western Hemisphere are beneath the Mazatec region. Um, so he was hunting for cave entrances. And uh, while he was out on a trail in, in backcountry, he came across uh, a couple of brothers and uh, talked to them and kind of befriended them. And they invited him to uh, to stay, stay the night at their place. Which he did, um, and uh, in talking to them, he found out that their father was a shaman who used uh, psychedelic mushrooms and salvia divinorum and various other plants. Um, and so he had heard about these things and was interested in learning more about them. And uh, to make a long story short, uh, he uh, uh, spoke with the father, and the father uh, agreed to lead him on a, a salvia. Uh, experience, and uh, Brett uh, said, "Well, that, that he was interested, and he agreed to come back um, after the his taking expedition was complete." So uh, he did, and came back, and uh, and they scheduled the session, and they took the leaves, and um, Brett had uh, quite a profound experience after chewing a bundle of thirteen pairs of leaves. Um, the reason I say thirteen pairs is because traditionally. Most Mazatec shamans um, measure out doses of leaves in pairs because pairs have ritual significance, um, apparently representing male and female and perhaps twins and other things um, that are symbolically meaningful to them. Um, anyway, so so he actually took 26 large leaves, which um, is a pretty good pile of leaves, and salvia divinorum leaves are quite bitter tasting. Um, you can chew one leaf, and it might not seem particularly bad tasting, but the more you chew, the worse it tastes. <laughs> so the process of chewing 26 leaves is actually a bit of an ordeal. Um, so anyway, back to the main point of my story. Um, when myself and my two friends uh, got together to try these leaves, we did the same thing. We each took 26 leaves. And uh, we were sitting outdoors on a friend's uh, veranda, um, overlooking the uh, chaparral-covered hillsides in Southern California. And um, so it was a fairly peaceful setting, and uh, it was around dusk, so you know, it was starting to get a little bit dark and um, progressively dark. Um, and so we chewed the leaves, and 
you know, I really didn't have much expectation of anything significant happening. I mean, I had heard about Brett Bloss's experience, but I didn't know Brett. It was secondhand information. You know, I was skeptical, and I actually, you know, I kind of suspected that he was exaggerating, and you know, because most of the other reports I had heard indicated that Sally really was quite mild and possibly didn't really even do anything. Um, some people who had tried to believe and not experienced anything speculated that um, that basically people who did report effects were just experiencing some kind of placebo effect from it. So, uh, so anyway, so we uh, the three of us chewed our leaves with not much expectation. And about 15 or 20 minutes after um, I had first began to chew the leaves, um, you know, I started to notice a slight shift in my vision, um, something very subtle that, you know, I thought, well, yeah, I don't know. I'm obviously looking for some effect. And when you're looking for something, it's easy for your mind to, you know, imagine things that aren't. <laughs> <laughs> I know the feeling. <laughs> So I, and I thought, well, maybe if I stand up and try and walk around, I'll notice some shift in my, you know, I'll notice something more profoundly because I'll, you know, maybe my sense of uh, movement and balance will be affected. And so, um, so I stood up and took a few steps, and uh, and I thought, yeah, I definitely, I definitely feel something is a little different. And uh, and I looked around, and I noticed there was this kind of colored. Um, Glow around surrounding objects, almost like a, you know, aura-like uh, glow to things. Um, it's, you know, just sort of pleasant, slight little, few inches of glowiness about objects. And uh, so when I noticed that, I, I said to my friends, "Yeah, I'm definitely feeling something now." And uh, and one of my friends, uh, in response, said, "Oh no, I don't feel anything." And actually, before he finished saying the word anything. He suddenly just fell out of the chaise lounge he was sitting on, <laughs> and just fell on the ground, and uh, and started laughing hysterically. And he he, you know, I said, "What? Well, are you okay?" And and uh, and he couldn't reply. He just kept laughing convulsively, and he tried to get some <laughs> words out to answer me, but he didn't. He couldn't control the laughter enough to speak. Um, so you know, at this point, I was you know I was feeling the effects, but not nearly as dramatically as he was. And the extraordinary thing was that it hit him so suddenly. One minute, he didn't think anything was happening, and within seconds, he was just, you know, thrown <laughs> into this other state. It was so dramatic. Um, and he laughed that way for, I don't know, it seemed like an awfully long time. I mean, it probably was only, you know, two or three minutes or something like that, but, it, you know, two or three minutes of, of uncontrollable laughter, a lot of laughter. Um so anyway, uh, finally he was able to get some words out, and he said, "Are you in it?" And I said, "Well, in what?" And because you know I was saying, "Well, do you mean do I feel something, or you know, what are you talking about?" And uh, and he he was just too far gone to really communicate much more than that. And it wasn't until later, um, when the effects were subsiding, a couple hours later. We talked about it, and I said, well, what did you mean when you said, are you in it? And he said, well, suddenly, when I fell out of the, the that chair, I I suddenly was underground in some cavern someplace, and that's what he was asking is, are we mm. in it? Were we in yeah. the space that he was in? Um, anyway, but my own experience was um, I didn't, I wasn't in it. I was 
in other places, but not that particular place. But um, um, as the effects became more pronounced, um, I found myself... Well, I never totally lost touch with ordinary reality. I mean, I was still aware of my environment, but there were things in the environment that aren't ordinarily there. Um, Things look different. I described, you know, this glowy glowy light quality surrounding things. But at some point I noticed in the hillsides uh, near us, which are basically just empty hillsides. Well, not empty. They're covered with chaparral bushes and shrubs. um, But I looked up and I noticed these little houses sort of um, tucked away, sort of built into the hillside, and they're sort of scattered around the hills in the distance. And you could see as it got darker, these little lights coming from the windows. And it was the oddest thing. They looked like um, the closest thing I could compare it to is the the Hobbit homes in, that uh, you read about in the Tolkien uh, novels, as, as well as the you know the film depictions and these little houses that are sort of built into the into the earth. You know what comes to my mind right right at this moment? I'm just uh, about to finish Graham Hancock's new book, Supernatural, which uh, uh-huh. I, I highly recommend. And uh, he has a big section in there about the medieval fairies. And what you're describing is uh, one of the scenes right out of uh, medieval times, I think. Right. Yeah, well, I'm sure those stories were, you know, a big uh, influence on Tolkien's writing. So, um, yeah, (laughs) the Hobbit houses came out of um, European mythology. But, uh, yeah, it was like that. And um, and I had the sense that the, the, the inhabitants of these houses were some kind of fairy-like nature spirits that that were always there and just not ordinarily seen. And at the time, it just seemed like, oh yeah, of course, that's the way it always is. It seemed completely normal and natural, and you know, it didn't shock me as some kind of revelation or something bizarre or or you know, a, a, or some kind of you know, twisted mind game. <laughs> you know, it seemed like, oh yeah, it's just that's natural, that's the way things are. Um, and uh, and that sense of naturalness and familiarity um, pervaded the, the entire experience. I just felt like I was being embraced by nature and sort of tuning into this aspect of the natural world that I'm not ordinarily um, perceiving. Um, my girlfriend, who was there at the time, was uh, she said it was like being rocked in the arms of Mother Nature. Um, and all three of us, when we talked about the experience later, um, agreed that you know, there was something very comfortable and natural and nurturing about the, the feelings that um, pervaded the experience. Um, one other thing that, that I remember from that was that um, when we were talking about the experiences, we all, uh, one of us said something like, oh, and I remember seeing these kind of fairy-like beings, but they they were kind of like children, and they had very long eyelashes and then they had a bit of a cartoonish quality. They weren't completely solid. They had a bit of a you know, ephemeral, almost a colorful transparency to them. And uh, and I forget which of us was the first to comment on that, but but whoever it was, the other two said, um, oh, that's bizarre. I saw those things too and they had those really long eyelashes. So it's very bizarre. Why would three people independently you know, have this feature of these really long eyelashed uh, little beings. Who knows? Well, you know, you know, Daniel, that that's that's one of the things that really fascinates me about Salvia, is uh, 
the the how similar a lot of the uh, experiences seem to be in the way people describe them. I've had kind of a wide range of friends that have uh, varying degrees of experience with a lot of substances uh, and some with none, and they all come back with this uh, feeling of familiarity, being embraced, uh, welcome home kind of thing, uh, uh, and and the little entities uh, quite often. It's just uh, astounding to me because more than any other psychoactive substance that I know of, uh, the similarity of stories seems to uh, follow with uh, with salvia. Yeah, there is a lot of similarity. <clears throat> Although I find that different people have uh, different kinds of experiences. There, if, if you take a population of whatever number, say, let's for argument's sake, like a hundred, um, and you know, ask these people about their experiences, and you know, let's talk about people who have had several experiences. Um, I find that you know, there's there's kind of group categories of types of experiences that people have. And some people might have experiences that vary and fall into different categories, but some people seem to only, you know, tend to have one particular type of experience. And but there'll be lots of other people who also have that type of experience. And then there's, you know, other people who have a different type, and they sort of fall into this other group. Um, I mean, for an example, um, you know, one of the more common types of experiences people have is often people find have visions of uh, of places that they have that are reminiscent of early childhood. Um, places like school playgrounds or the backyard of their parents' house when you know, where they lived when they were six or seven years old and um, for some reason a lot of people tune into this particular period of life of early childhood, um, roughly between six and nine years old, around that period of life. Um and it's extraordinarily common that and you know, it's curious well why that particular time in life, um, you don't hear a lot of people saying that they found themselves back in high school or in college. <laughs> you know, it's, it's for some yeah. reason they find themselves in these places from early childhood. Um, so there's something interesting about that with Salvi being able to key into that particular life period. Um, and certain people, um, quite a lot of people have that type of experience, whereas other people never have that type of experience. Another very common one, well, in fact, I fall into that category of often having having those you know, early childhood uh, visions. Um, but other people often report experiences of becoming objects. Um, and I've never had that experience, and a lot of people haven't, but a significant percentage of people become objects when they, <laughs> when they do salvia. And, you know, it just seems like such an odd uh, phenomenon, but it's extraordinary when people describe that. You know, they, they're often just, you know, they make a big point about saying, well, it's not like I just sort of felt as if I was a wall or a refrigerator or whatever. I was that thing, and there was no question about it, and it was as if that was the way it was, and I would always be that thing. And, you know, I was concerned that I would never come back from that. Wow. Um, <laughs> and that's another, you know, one of those weird salvia um, effects, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure that kind of thing can also happen with other psychedelics as well, but, you know, it seems particularly characteristic of salvia. Um, and there's another, the sort of broad categories of types of experiences that people have with it. Well, you know, that yeah. salvia is is uh, so unique, and that's one of the reasons that prompted me to do this uh, interview with you, is that uh, in hearing some of the other uh, experiences that people are writing into various podcasts about, 
it, it appeared real obvious to me that uh, they hadn't they hadn't been to your website to read the uh, free user guide and and really learn more about mm-hmm. how to use Salvia. I think some people are thinking they can uh, just uh, you know have a, a toke or two of Salvia and have a quick experience. And and uh, maybe uh, we should cover a little bit about uh, you know what's a really the the sacred way to use this to have a, a true Salvia experience and to respect the plant itself too. Yeah. Well, let me just uh, preface that with something. Um, you know, I had told you about my initial experience with the leaves, and basically it was that experience that, that made me, you know, it just, the experience fascinated me. And um, that fascination led me to a whole string of further experiments with the leaves and efforts to, um, well, I won't even go into those. It gets to be a very long story because it's been years of experiments and research. But um, uh, ultimately, it led me to do a string of experiments with salvia, that um, um, which which resulted in in my isolation of, uh, of a crystalline substance from the leaves, um, which is now known to be salvinorin A, um, and that was quite a, a ex- extraordinary discovery, um, at least it was <laughs> from my perspective. Uh, it turned out that this compound was uh, turned out to be responsible for this, the mind-altering effects of the plant, um, but um, which was interesting in itself because uh, although this compound had been isolated from leaves previously, it had not been determined that it was responsible for the, the visionary effects of the plant. Um, so I isolated this compound, um, but what when I, I tried it, I discovered that this stuff was extraordinarily potent, um, which was quite a surprise because it takes quite a lot of leaves to get much of an effect when you take the leaves in the traditional fashion. Um, so it was a surprise to find that it contained one of the most potent visionary compounds known. Um, the problem with chewing the leaves is it's not a very efficient way of getting that compound into your body. Um, because apparently it's either poorly absorbed or, or largely deactivated by gastrointestinal fluids and such or whatever before it reaches the bloodstream. But um, um, after isolating Salvinorne and identifying it as the active principle, I published a paper in the Journal of Psychopharm—I'm sorry—in the Journal of Ethnopharmacology, um, describing my findings with this, about this compound. And that generated um, a, a lot of mail from people who had read the article people wanting to know more about this. Um, and that was right around the time that the web was just emerging as a popular uh, phenomenon. Um, and rather than you know having to write, uh, you know, answer the same questions over and over to all these correspondents, I decided, well, I should just put up a web page and you know create a central source for information about Salvi-Divnorum where people, I can just direct people to that and have all that information there so I don't have to you know, keep answering the same questions over and over again, um, which is what I did. And uh, that was, oh, God, it was something like 10, almost 10 years ago now. Um, and I've been building that website for, for, you know, for the last decade um, and trying to make it as comprehensive as possible because after experiencing Salvinorne um, and my my perception of salvia changed. Um, my experiences with the chewed leaves were one thing. Um, it produced chewing the leaves tends to produce a very gentle uh, experience that can be managed fairly easily and can be. I mean, can you know? There's lots of variables here, so I don't want to generalize too much. But in general, 
uh, when taken in the traditional fashion of chewing the leaves, the effects um, are gentle, the onset is gradual, the experience is uh, enriching and can be utilized in a very uh, controlled, directed, uh, conscientious manner. Um, when you take it into the, when, t- when you take salvia in a manner which gets it into your bloodstream rapidly, um, which is what happened when I first tried salvinorna, um, I vaporized the compound and inhaled the vapors. Um, the effects can be very uh, almost instantaneous and extremely dramatic and uh, overwhelmingly intense sometimes, and difficult to make sense of and difficult to really use in any uh, directed manner. Um, so after it was after my experience with salvinorna, the pure compound that I decided that, you know, it's really important that people get some guidance about, uh, you know, how to use this herb in a, in a uh, positive, safe way. Um, you know, I think it's important to encourage people particularly to try to um, use it in the traditional fashion of chewing the leaves because that, for most people, is the most useful way. But um, it, this story gets a bit complex because um, also at this around that time, um, people started selling uh, salvia. It started becoming more widely available. Um, dried leaves. People started producing various types of extracts. Um, partly because of my isolating salvinorna, people realized uh, what what a powerful compound this plant contained. And by extracting it, you can uh, produce you know really powerful experiences that are easily accessible. Um, perhaps a little too easily <laughs> accessible. Um, <laughs> So anyway, I, I decided well, it's important to have a certain responsibility as somebody who's kind of put this information out to the world to begin with to, uh, to try and you know, give some people some guidance. So anyway, so to make a long story short, that was the, the main reason that the website was created. And to get back to your question, um, yeah, right, a lot of people, I've had my website up for about 10 years now, and... And if you do a Google search for salvia, um, you'll find that my site's probably the first um, thing to come up. So the information's pretty readily available. But nevertheless, an awful lot of people, possibly even the majority of people who try salvia, don't come across my website first. And often they don't really have much information about salvia. Um, A lot of times people hear about it in media stories and uh, usually the media sensationalizes um, sensationalizes their uh, reports about any kind of um, uh, psychedelic substance, and salvia is no exception. Um, and they, you know, often compare salvia to LSD and whatever, to legal pot or whatever they they call it. Um, and you know, it's that kind of thing is very misleading. People, uh, you know, they hear a story that's titled legal pot and think, oh. Well, I'm interested in that. I like pot. <laughs> and I realize that salvia is not like pot. Um, Hardly. <laughs> um, so anyway, people, there's a lot of misinformation about it out there. People, most of the journalists who write these stories have never tried it, so they don't really know what they're writing about. Um, they're just secondhand information that they're recycling from other sources and it's, you know, misapprehended and spit out again. Um so, but uh, another issue that's happening now is salvia's become very available. I mean, on the internet, there's probably hundreds of uh, mail order companies that are selling salvia div norm in various forms. It's also uh, being sold at head shops all over the place, so-called uh, smoke shops. And uh, and 
in most cases, in fact, the vast majority of cases, um, the people selling these products have very little information, if anything, about salvia, and the product labels and packaging themselves don't include any information about how to use the herb safely or the extract safely, whatever it may be. Um, and, uh, in fact, often uh, manufacturers of these extracts deliberately misrepresent their products. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of these shops, they don't, you know, they, they're just not that interested. Or they're just it's something that they can sell, and they know there's some market for it, so they sell it. And um, a, lot of peop- a lot of these shop owners are actually nervous to, even if they did know, it seems that they're often nervous to admit that they know much about it. Um, I think that there might be some concern that oh, in some way they might be liable for, um, you know, any mishaps that might result from people using their products. So um, I guess they're afraid to, you know, say too much about about it. Um, you know, I've also noticed an odd thing, a lot of uh, salvia uh, vendors call it call their salvia extracts incense, which just just seems like the weirdest. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've seen that, and you know, I, I definitely am not going to inhale incense. <laughs> uh, it's like those uh, that the, what are they called? Those um, those uh, nitrate? I guess the butyl nitrate um, inhalants that that are sold as uh, you know. Perfumes or clones or something. <laughs> anyway, but um, and I, I presumably the same. You know, it's because the manufacturer doesn't want to, or the vendor doesn't want to um, admit that it's intended for human use. In fact, often the labels say, you know, specifically it will say not intended for human use. Right. And presumably they're just worried about well, if some mishap happens from someone who takes this, they can claim. Oh, I, I didn't. That's not for human use. It's, uh, you know, I'm selling that as incense. So it's not my responsibility. You know, what people do with it if they don't, you know, they don't. It's not my fault. Right. Um, I don't think that would really hold up very well in court. But um, some people, you know, I guess are hoping it might. But the problem I have with that, uh, first of all, it's kind of ludicrous because salvia doesn't really have any odor that, you know, maybe it's got a very, very subtle odor, but nothing that you would use for any incense purpose. So it's kind of, that's kind of silly. But the other thing is these people are um, just um, selling a powerful mind-altering substance and not taking any responsibility for educating people about how to use it safely. And I've always had a problem with that approach, and um, that's why you know I, my focus has always been on education, more education. It's I don't think people can be too educated about salvia. Um, something I mean, you know, it's, you don't need to know everything about it, but um, uh, a lot of information is a good thing. Well, it's, I've uh, seen I've seen some some people's lives change profoundly from uh, literally a single use of salvia. So it's it it really does have some. Tremendous, uh, powerful potential, and uh, uh, maybe maybe you might say a, a little word about having a sitter there uh, that knows what's going yeah, on. Absolutely. Well, yes, a sitter is important. Salvia can be quite powerful. It really depends, like any drug, on dose. I mean, there are, if you do a small dose, it produces subtle effects, and there's really no danger of anything bad happening. And you, know, you remain in control, and you're aware of your environment and your behavior. And, uh, and you don't need a sitter if you're doing a small dose. But, you know, when people are doing salvia for the first time or the first few times, they don't really know how sensitive they are to salvia. 
people vary a lot in sensitivity to salvia, and that's something that's true for all drugs. People vary in sensitivity to, to any drug. But salvia, you know, it's particularly apparent, um, at least, you know, talking about um, hallucinogens in general. Um, salvia, people seem to vary uh, more noticeably in response to salvia than, than many other things. Um, so there's some people who are, you know, unbelievably insensitive to salvia. I come across people sometimes who seem practically immune to it. They can do these, you know, concentrated, super concentrated extracts and get very little effect. Um, whereas, um, you know, other people, there's a small percentage, but some people are just remarkably sensitive to it and very small dose produces very dramatic effects, um, a dose that wouldn't really face most people. And, you know, the majority of people tend to fall in somewhere in the middle between those two extremes. But when you're first doing salvia, you don't know where you fall in that sensitivity category. Um, so, you, uh, so it's important to use extra caution. Um, it might turn out that, that you're a person with unusually high sensitivity. So if you take a dose that, that your friends are comfortable with, it might be too much for you, and it might be too much for you to handle on your own, um, even uh, you know if, if, if it's what your friends would consider a low dose. So when you're first doing it, it's important to have a sitter there um, just to uh, to make sure that if uh, if it does turn out to be overwhelmingly intense, you have someone there who can look after your own well-being and make sure you don't you know get up and stumble around, fall over furniture, or do something that might hurt yourself in some way. Um, so sitters are important when you're first experimenting with it, and they're also important even if you're very experienced. Um, but if you're experienced and you're doing if you're do, if you're doing a dose that you know is going to be very intense, um, it's good to have a sitter. And you know, almost essential, I would say. I mean, if you're very experienced, I don't know, I'd say it sort of depends on the dosage level. But with salvia, there's a point at which the, the intensity of the experience is completely overwhelming and the person goes into an altered reality, an altered experience of reality. Um, similar, you know, vaguely similar to dreaming, uh, when we're sleeping at night and laying in bed and we're off in some other realm having other experiences, we're usually not aware that we're laying somewhere out in bed um, under some blankets. Um, you know, we're just immersed in this scene. Um, this kind of thing happens with, um, you know, substantial doses of salvia propel people completely into these alternative visionary realms. And uh, that in itself uh, is, uh, you know, one of the more fascinating aspects of salvia. Um, the reason for concern here and reason for advising a sitter is that um, often when people are, their mind is, is somewhere else, their body will move around. Um, this doesn't happen with everybody, um, but many people do react that way. They'll, they'll just get up and you know, just walk in a straight line into a wall or fall over a chair or, you know, God forbid, walk out the door. <laughs> so, and they don't seem to be aware of what they're doing. Their mind is totally engaged in the visionary experience. It's as if they're sleepwalking. There's just like some kind of autom automatic, they're on automatic pilot, and their body just sort of goes about some habitual pattern of motion um, with no real awareness or conscious engagement in what's, what they're doing. And um, and obviously the danger there is that you know if you're not aware of where you're walking, you can stumble and hurt yourself. Um, you know people when they smoke salvia, they're dealing with um, flames, lighters, 
sometimes people have candles lit or incense burning. And if you, you know, wander around and knock something over, you could, you know, there's a fire danger. Anyway, that danger, potential dangers are obvious, you know, going out of your skin into some other reality and, and you know, you need someone to keep an eye on your body. Right. <laughs> right. And, and you're not asking a lot of somebody because you're not talking a, like a, a two-hour experience. It's a relatively no. short... Uh... Yeah, that's an important point. Well, it's, it's, it, uh, you know, this I could talk all day because this all gets very complicated. There's so many different ways to take salvia and different dosage levels and kind of talking about different things at different different dosage levels. Um, but when people when people smoke salvia or inhale vaporized salvinorne, um, the effects are very brief. They they come on, you know, in ten or twenty seconds very quickly. And they come on very quick you know, well they come on rapidly and suddenly. It, you know, it takes only ten or twenty seconds but then the effects hit you almost all at once. Um, it's not like there's a gradual easing into it. It's just sort of like one minute you're here and the next and within seconds you're finding yourself someplace else. Um, and then that experience is intense for maybe five or six minutes. And then after five or six minutes it starts subsiding. And uh, usually within 20 or 30 minutes after the person smokes salvia, they feel pretty much completely back to normal with maybe some subtle lingering effects for another half an hour or so. But yeah, that experience is very brief. Um, when these are taken orally, the uh, the salvinorne is absorbed um, from the leaf material or from a tincture or whatever form it's being taken as. But when it's taken orally, salvinorne is absorbed gradually uh, into the uh, body. Um, it seems to be absorbed primarily through the mucous membranes in the mouth cavity. And uh, so it's kind of like those tissues are a time-release buffer. The, the salvinorne is migrating through those tissues and gradually being released into the bloodstream. And as a consequence, you have a more extended experience. And when taken orally, typically the effects begin in 15 or 20 minutes and then uh, develop uh, over over several minutes. So there's a bit of a more gradual onset than with smoking. And then the experience, the, the plateau lasts for anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour um, on average, depending on the dose. And then that fades away over another 30 minutes to an hour. So when taken orally, you can actually have, you know, an experience, the overall experience can be more like two hours, sometimes a little longer with higher doses, um, compared with smoking where, you know, you're talking about like 20 or 30 minutes um, for, you know, the significant phase of the mm-hmm. experience. So, but still, even then, even with the oral method, you know, a two-hour experience is not a real long time compared to most other um, hallucinogens. Um, and uh, and there's also the difference with taking it orally. The effects tend to be more subtle, and so you know it's not it's not such a um, it's not so disorientating. And it's still important to have a sitter if you're doing any significant amount orally. But it's particularly important with smoking, especially smoking extracts of salvia, because it it really does tend to there's much more high percentage of cases where people just suddenly find there's this break with ordinary reality that's so sudden that people just have no handle on it and they just, you know, they're someplace else and they'll get up and suddenly move around. And, and, you know, I've seen that happen and uh, one of the things that's kind of surprising is is they present fairly well sometimes. It's not, you know, they're a little wide-eyed and all, but it's not like they're just, uh, you know, totally bizarre. I've seen them... uh, 
try to convince people, I'm all right, I'm ready to go, and you know they're not. Right, that can happen. Yeah, and the sitter has to be aware of that um, phenomenon. Um, Yeah, it seems that people have, you know, there's a lot of habitual behavior that just seems so ingrained that it can happen even when our mind is someplace else. And like you say, I've seen this with Salvia and people as well, where sometimes people just get up and, you know, they'll like look at their watch and calmly walk uh, towards the door as if they just remembered an important appointment or something. And you know, sometimes it looks completely normal and in control. And you know, and I think, well, wait a minute, you just want this chance. There's no way that you could be like, you know, and you know, why would you want be wanting to go to your appointment now or whatever? You know, it's just an example of one case. But um, um, so yeah, the sitter has to be mindful of. Um, it's best to agree beforehand, like, you know, right. we agree that this, we know this is going to last a certain period of time, and, and you're not supposed to leave this certain space that you've decided is a safe space. Um, and the sitter's job is to, well, there's already only one job, it's just to sort of look after the person's safety and try to remain unobtrusive. Um, unfortunately, a lot of people um, have some kind of crazy notion that they should interact with the person while they're um, tripping. And in most cases, it's not a good idea unless interaction's really called for in order to, like, you know, hold the person to prevent them from, you know, going out the door or something like that um, or moving around in some unsafe way. Um, but usually, if a person's, you know, tripping on salvia strongly enough that they're really in a visionary space, usually they're not very able to communicate and often not able to really understand what's being said to them, or they'll misinterpret what's being said said to them, or they might hear what's being said in the context of the visionary experience they're having, and so it will have a whole different meaning. So usually it's best for the sitter to just remain quiet and unobtrusive and and only, you know, um, act if really needed. In most cases, the sitter doesn't need to do anything, because in most cases, the person just, you know, sits in one place, and they just lean back and their eyes are closed and you know it looks like from the outside it looks like not much is happening to them but you know in their own mind they're having an extraordinary um, uh, involvement with some internal visionary scene that right. uh, feels completely real to them at the time well, I have uh, you know we're we're getting to the end of the, the time for our podcast here but I would like to uh, just maybe briefly touch on the legal status and then uh, I'd like to hear an update on the book you're working on before we go alright well the legal status uh, is in flux. Um, well, well, it's probably always going to be in flux. Um, Sal- uh, salvia is no denying that it is a powerful vision-inducing compound, and uh, in most people's minds, that you know, they just cate- it, 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 it is the equivalent of uh, drugs that are already illegal in most countries, like LSD and psilocybin and mescaline. Um, so, um, from the lawmakers' perspective, and from many. Uh, many people in general's perspective, well, the thought is, well, of course this should be illegal because, well, LSD is illegal and we make these other things illegal and, you know, it sounds like this does the same kind of thing, so it should be illegal. Um, so, unfortunately, that seems to be the prevalent mindset that's we're in the society we live in. And um, so, as a consequence, um, several countries have made salvia illegal within the last few years. Um, this is all fairly recent because... You know, until fairly recently, salvia was uh, not well known, and uh, still, you know, still, 
fairly low on the radar, but it is getting an awful lot of media attention and and uh, and as a consequence, it's getting the attention of lawmakers and they're making laws. Um, Australia was the first country to ban salvia, as followed by Denmark and now Spain and Italy and Belgium and Estonia and oh, probably a few others that aren't popping in my head right now have made it illegal. Um, I think five U.S. states have um, some kind of legislation prohibiting salvia, um, some of it severely and some um, not so severely. Um, and then there's several bills pending in uh, uh, right now in, in U.S. states um, that also are seeking to down salvia. So it seems inevitable that eventually the federal government in this country will will uh, probably ban it as well. Um, there's currently, well, there's several, I don't remember all of them offhand, New York, New Jersey, uh, Illinois, um, um, let's see, I think Rhode Island, uh, um, Oregon, California, I'll have uh, bills pending right now that would ban uh, salvia if passed. So that's uh, certainly something to be concerned about. Uh, I don't, you know, I, I don't want to get too much into. To, uh, right, I just kind of wanted our. Of that, well, yeah. well I, I just wanted our listeners to be uh, aware that it's in flux, and they should be yeah. paying attention to their local. Uh, uh, yeah, exactly. I have a page on my website um, that just is, is titled "Legal Status," and it uh, that's a good place to go. I try and keep it up to date every time I hear about any changes in the legal status of salvia. Um, but anyone in any state can, in the U.S., um, can easily uh, do a web search for the legis- state legislature in their state, and, and they'll have websites. Yeah, where well, we'll, we'll be linking to uh, your sagewisdom.org site, and uh, th- that's the first place people will be going anyhow, I'm sure. Yeah. I hope so. And uh, and uh, before we go, uh, what's what's I, I know you've been working on a book for a while, right? right? What's the status I've of that? I've been working on a book for almost ten years now. Um, <laughs> I, I understand that feeling. <laughs> yeah, it's a long. Road. It's been a long road and a fascinating uh, journey. And uh, yeah, I started working on this book. Yeah, it's just about, right about ten years ago now, and it's uh, very close to completion. The manuscript is complete and edited, and I'm working on page layout and design and deciding what photos to include. And just the text part of the book is about 550 pages on on a eight and a half by eleven inch page so it's it's a lot of uh, material it covers all aspects of the plant the botany chemistry horticulture the effects uh, practical applications um, you know methods of use and all, all just about every aspect in it um, so it's something that's captivated me um, Sally has fascinated me um, intensely and and the process of writing the book has forced me to uh, research uh, pretty much every aspect of it. Um, so it's been great. If nothing else, it's been a great education for myself, and um, hopefully the information will be useful to other well, people. I'm, I'm hoping well. that uh, we can get you back here in the Psychedelic Salon for another uh, interview once uh, once your book is uh, in print, and we can talk about that some. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Good. Well, it's it's really been great catching up with you again, and I, I hope we get to uh, have have some meeting in Adam space here before long again. But yeah, uh, uh, it's it's been uh, I appreciate your mm-hmm. time and and uh, look forward to our next conversation. Okay, so, nice talking to you. Hey, the same here. So, am I just using poetic license here when I say that the salvia plant actually sought out and found Daniel? In my world, it uh, isn't beyond the realm of reason for a plant to 
suggest to its owner that he, he or she should carry it to a lecture that they were about to attend. Now, maybe that plant didn't know that Daniel would be there, but a Terrence McKenna lecture would certainly be a place where the odds were highly in favor of someone being there who would take an interest in such a plant. I didn't think to ask Daniel if he knew the name of the person who gave him that salvia plant at the McKenna lecture, but isn't it fascinating how a person whose simple action of giving away a few cuttings of his salvia plant has, well, maybe without his even knowing it, has had a profound effect on, well, ultimately on the entire whole on of human consciousness due to the large numbers of people who are now actively using salvia in sacred ceremonies. So if uh, you are that person, I thank you for following your instincts or the plant's request by bringing your salvia plant to Terence's lecture. In fact, we are all in your debt. Another thing that uh, stuck out when I was uh, re-listening to this conversation I had with Daniel was uh, when he was talking about people under the influence of salvia becoming objects. And that reminded me of a Terrence McKenna rap I once heard where he was talking about how psychedelics remove boundaries. And he said you'd better be careful because they could remove the boundary between you and your refrigerator. While I've never had the experience of becoming an object under the influence of salvia, it did happen to me one time in an ayahuasca circle. And uh, there's really no way to put words to an experience like that. All I can say is that for a while I actually was a computer network. It was very strange. That's about all I can say about it, other than that I've never been so cold in all my life as during that little ayahuasca interlude. Getting back to Salvia, I think uh, that I mentioned before that the website Daniel has been maintaining for over a decade now may be found at www.sagewisdom, S-A-G-E-W-I-S-D-O-M, that's all one word, sagewisdom.org. And it's, uh, it's one of the very few websites that I'm willing to put my name behind 100%. Two of the others, uh, of course, are Arrowid, E-R-O-W-I-D.org, which can be trusted to provide good, solid information about a wide range of psychoactive substances. And another one is uh, CognitiveLiberty.org, which is the place to go for information about the legal status of various phases of the war on consciousness. But uh, Daniel's site, SageWisdom.org, is really the best place to go for all kinds of information about salvia. For starters, uh, you'll find a user's guide there that I believe is really must-reading before you ever try this powerful substance for the first time. And even if you're experienced in using salvia, I think you might want to pick up a copy of that guide. It's free. Just download it from uh, sagewisdom.org, and you might pick up a tip or two also. Also, his uh, frequently asked questions section answers almost every question I can think of about salvia. And, uh, you know, just this morning I was listening to the latest Dopecast from the dopefiend.co.uk, and he read an email from a listener who said he'd not had great results from some salvia extract that he bought online. And uh, he went on to say that he bought it from someone whose prices were a bit lower than he found on sagewisdom.org. Now, while I'm sure that there are many reputable sources of salvia and salvinorinae that uh, you can find out there, and some of them may be a bit lower in price than Daniel's site, 
But I know for a fact that you'll get only the highest quality product from sagewisdom.org. And, uh, you know, there are times when it pays to get the very best, and I, I think this may be one of those times. And that goes for uh, any substance that you're going to put into your body, including food. Before I launch into a wrap about the value of organic food, I guess I'd better finish my thoughts about salvia and, and get out of here for today. I guess the only other thing that you might want to think about is the fact that uh, it looks like salvia will soon become illegal to sell and purchase in many places. So if you're in a jurisdiction where salvia is now legal, it uh, may be worthwhile to stock up on some of the extract, just in case. Well, it was good being with you again today, and I'm really glad you got to hear a little part of Daniel's story about how salvia and he became intertwined. And speaking of becoming intertwined, something uh, Daniel and I have in common is that we both had the great good fortune to meet our wives at one of the entheobotany seminars in Blanque, Mexico. In fact, that's where uh, Daniel and I also met. And while I didn't meet Robert there, it turns out that he too is an alumnus of those great conferences. You'll remember Robert, who is our benefactor from South Wales that I mentioned in the last podcast. It turns out that uh, he was there the year before I first made it, and uh, that was the year they held the conference in Ushmal. And uh, by happy coincidence, that's the year that Matt Palomari attended his first uh, entheobotany conference as well. And if you're new to the Psychedelic Salon with this podcast, well, Matt Palomari is the person interviewed in last week's program. Well, a lot's changed since those great times down in the Lockendone jungle. For one thing, it seems like uh, I'm not the only one who's become a grandparent since attending one of those conferences. It appears that Robert also has uh, entered that category because he sent me a picture of him and his newborn baby granddaughter. And having uh, just had the experience a couple years ago of holding a baby that's only a few hours old, is uh, it's perhaps the most psychedelic experience I've ever had. And from the look on Robert's face and the photo he sent, well, <laughs> you can tell he's in a state of perfect bliss himself. So uh, congratulations on the new grandchild, Robert, and uh, thanks for sending the photo. You know, it's one of a handful of pictures that I've received from a few of our listeners, and they really help me keep you in mind when we get together in the salon. So uh, I'm really glad you're here, and whether you're driving to work right now or relaxing at home or, or at work, for that matter, it's good to know that you're here with us in the Psychedelic Salon each week. I guess before I go, I should mention that uh, this and all of the podcasts from the Psychedelic Salon are protected under the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 2.5 license. But if you have any questions about that, you can click on the link at the bottom of the Psychedelic Salon webpage, which may be found at matrixmasters.com slash podcasts. And if you still have questions, you can send them in an email to lorenzo at matrixmasters.com. Thanks again to Chateau Hayuk for the use of your music here in the salon. And for now, this is Lorenzo, signing off from Cyberdelic Space. Be well, my friends. (laughs) 